This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Vilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, it's a good job we recorded a, a separate podcast about seven hours ago, really, because uh, if you wanted to know about what happened to Serena Williams, you'd be coming to the wrong place, because I can barely remember any of that. Fortunately, there's an emergency tennis podcast already waiting for you elsewhere uh, in our feed, if you'd like to listen to that, and about Caroline Wozniacki's uh, uh, end to her career at the hands of Ons Jabeur. We have now moved from Garden Square, where we were speaking to you on that earlier podcast today, and soaked up the most epic seven or eight hours of tennis. Uh, Not all of it the greatest quality in the world, but drama wherever you looked. And now we have returned to Catherine's Lounge, where there are snacks and there are beers. And there are tired faces. And seats. And seats. Yeah, because we were standing up next to... Someone Bowery. <laughs> yeah, see, it's a long time ago. Didn't really really Lynn? Name. It's a long time ago. Leslie, I think. <laughs> Leslie. Was it Leslie? Yes. Okay, that, you've, you've, you've saved us there, David. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, just to run you through the day. So we had the Serena defeat at the hands of Wang Chang. We had Caroline Wozniakki's retirement and all the rest of it. And then we had the evening session commencing and these are this these are the this is the snapshot of what happened we had coco golf age 15 knocking out the defending champion naomi osaka we had stefano sitsipas going out in three straight sets to milos raonic and then we had roger federer in a five set epic that he was eight four down in the final set tie break against uh john milman and he eventually won six points in a row to get the win, get the win, and so Federer is still alive here in the Australian Open, despite yes. his demons. Yes, turns out John Millman is a sensation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Um, yeah, I'm feeling a great sense of responsibility with this podcast because I feel like, you know, we have quite a lot of listeners in America who would have probably slept through all that. I was I was messaging Andrew, our good friend and colleague, who said. 
I feel like I need the podcast more than ever because I feel like I've been in a blackout and woken up and I need someone to tell me how my night's gone off the rails. <laughs> just because... I think that's how Sitsabas feels as well. Yeah, just because everything just continued to be crazy. I mean, we were kind of right that the night session this evening would be amazing. We, I think we all thought that would be the case. It was, it was arguably um, the day session, which was more surprising in its drama. But yeah, the night session for its sustained drama to one o'clock was extraordinary. Uh, I don't know why I'm volunteering this because it's not required, but I thought Milman Federer was going to be disappointing. I thought it was going to be the inverse of kind of the, the Wong Serena thing where it was just a far superior mm. match ludicrously slow so compared to what we saw in, in at the US I thought it was going to be disappointingly pedestrian I was for, and, for and Federer for Federer yeah right. I would have said the same yesterday but there was something in the air there was it was like it's like this snowball effect as soon as as soon as one yeah, how, happens I, it seems to affect all the others I can't cope with that because no. I know you're right but it it Defies all it logic. defies logic and I can't cope with it. Mm. But I quite like occasionally leaving logic to one side and just <laughs> going just going with so is it, craziness. Is it that then? Is there something in the air that catches and everybody ends up getting this sense of being uncertain and uncomfortable? And I'm, I'm sure Everyone players would say no. I'm sure players would say, oh, I'm just focusing on my match. But that feels like a line that they might just trot out. Of course, yeah. Do you think, uh, how closely do we think Naomi Osaka watched the Serena match, for example? Pretty closely. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think yeah, she'd be very exactly. good at ignoring it all. No. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's, let's pick up there, shall we? Because Osaka and Goff came onto the court. I was commentating on it on BBC Radio. I did the first set. Right from the off, I felt like I'm looking at a different Coco Goff, for instance, than I saw at Wimbledon last year. She wasn't just reacting to her opponent that was the big thing that i took from it i know you've you've referenced the power of her serve and i mean it, it is just a thud of a serve but her ground stroke she was taking it to to osaka today and and dictating the play osaka was awful mm. i mean it wasn't just it was it was just an appalling performance she really didn't show up part of it was golf making it difficult because she didn't allow her to play but got but Osaka is good enough to force her way into a tennis match and she just didn't but is that the problem though that she was trying to force her way in she was trying to just hit through it and and it ended up making her look dare I say one-dimensional one dimensional. Yeah. yeah she she hit two successive backhands down the line on one knee halfway up the net you know just shots that really are when when somebody's hit a, a really spearing backhand cross court at you and you're trying to change the direction of it and go over the high part of the net and I was with Daniel Antikova she was the co-commentator and she's just that shot's just not on really when, you fa- when you're feeling like this you've got to be feeling a million dollars to hit a shot like that um, her, bra- her mind was scrambled I think yeah I left the stadium I went out after the first set and saw the second set in the stadium and then once it had finished I, I thought I have no way to explain what just happened. That was just an error fest from Osaka. But I thought, well, at least I'll go to the press conference and Osaka will probably have some kind of explanation for it because she so often does. She didn't. She was as confused as we were by that performance. And I actually, 
I actually thought she slightly contradicted what she's been saying all tournament, really, which is that she feels like she's getting better at getting through matches when she's not playing her best but still managing to win. And But then today she said that she thinks that's something she still really lacks. In fact, she used the expression, I lack the champion's mentality, <laughs> and then described that in those terms, of, in terms of winning when you're not at your best. So, yeah, I was left even more confused by by Osaka. Um, there were just so many errors. I mean, Goff played fine, but I can't really remember a moment where I thought, wow, Coco Goff was amazing. I'll tell, tell you one moment that I did, and this is where uh, I'd never seen her play where, where I sit in a commentary box for Five Live here in the Australian Open, which is on... You are basically sitting on the court just behind the centre service line, Judge. That, that's where our window is. It's blacked out, so you can't see it from the TV. But we're sitting there, and it's where you appreciate the movement most of all because the player is 20 feet in front of you, moving side to side. And her movement, her ability to, A, move side to side but then change direction mm. when she was even wrong footed I, I don't know that I've seen anybody else move like that in the women's game yeah that was um, something I, that struck me the other day and, and still control the shot still have a, a decision the ability to make a decision on the run I mean it was just jaw dropping I know she was helped significantly by Asaka but what struck me is that so many of her her victories at these these three slams where we've seen her emerge have have fed on the drama and her competitive instinct there've been very in fact have there been any just straightforward sort of goffs just the better player and that's the end of it maybe maybe only the first one against venus at yeah. wimbledon when Venus was totally off her game. The others have all been, you know, she's produced great, great tennis, but it's what has stood out above everything is her instincts, her competitive fighting instincts, and she's had to to battle, which in some respects has made it more impressive. What she hasn't been doing is just routine victories where she's just the better player. And yeah, Mm. Osaka was a, a big factor in that today, but Goff was just... Just a better player. Mm. The the next step in her development will be when she develops just maybe one or two more weapons, which are coming. I mean, given the the age she is, she's going to grow more strength. She's gonna, I mean, she's probably three four years away from being close to her peak, um, and she'll start beating players routinely in mm. in three or four years. That's eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that. I don't know. I mean, we, you never know when somebody might go through a bad patch and struggle for a while and have a... a it's an, it may not all be just a, a straightforward upward curve. Um, no, but I'm thinking sort of in, in average terms for, for female tennis players, what is the average peak age? It wouldn't be 18 or 19. I know she's an anomaly, but... Mm, no, I mean, look, she, she could easily have 20 years uh, in, in the sport. <sighs> easily. If if physically she's okay and mentally and everything else, but I just feel like at the moment most of her wins are punctuated by the fact that she's grinding out victories against veteran players and experienced players, which is an incredible trait 
an ability to have at the age she is. But in order to take the next step, she'll have to start cleaning people up. And she has already Im- improved her game in terms of... I remember wa- watching her forehand at Wimbledon last year and being struck by how loopy it was. I almost thought that was what she was intending to do. Mm. It, was like, it was like it was a new shot. I'd never seen anything like it before. It yeah. would look like it was going out and then just suddenly this... dip and it would make no sound as it made contact with the strings. It's like the moon ball, but like not as a junk shot. Yeah, <laughs> but now she seems to have really cleaned up the strike on that forehand and it's not as good as her backhand, I don't think, but it's, it's come on a long way. Um, and there was something... There was something about her that just disrupted Osaka and probably the most insightful thing that Osaka said in her press conference was that I love Coco but I really didn't like losing to her she felt that you know and she she referenced her age she said it's not good to lose to a 15 year old Um, and I kind of loved that Mm. from Osaka Um, and, and, and she was asked to compare what she was like when she was 15 and what her expectations were of her own career. And she said, well, they were the same, but I just expected to be where I am now sooner. And we kind of think of Osaka as pretty young, really, and having made a big breakthrough. So it's almost like she's a bit in awe of what Goff's mm. been being able to do. And she kind of wants to be able to do that herself. Or, but she can't because it's all in the past for her. She's now, she's now older. Oh, um, God. She's like having regrets at 22 (laughs) (laughs) having oh god (laughs) um we had uh i mentioned we had daniela handed over in our commentary box she picked her to win the title goff yeah not the first time she's gone big daniela Daniela. is is, i love daniela as is as is well known she is hot she's been high on coco goff for a long time i do I do take that with a little pinch of salt, but it is possible. Mm. It, of course, it's possible. Yeah. But y- <sighs> do you know one one thing that does occur to me? Because whilst I, I was thinking, you know, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is I think of less than a year ago. I think of Felix Auger-Aliassime, who we were, who was rising so mm. relentlessly that you couldn't you couldn't imagine a blip really and now he's having a blip he and he it's not I mean, i'm not saying i expected him to sort of win a grand slam this year a year ago i didn't think that but i didn't think he would play players and suddenly look like he's got the yips on a shot or something like that or be missing the way he is mm. who knows whether goth may end up having that you she, know of course she's going to have blips oh yeah of course she, i mean it's all it's all relative she's not going to always be reaching the second week of slams so She's going to have blitz. And you and actually mentally that's quite a challenge, I think, mm. for these young players. I, I always remember, I mean, before your time, when I was a kid and Boris Becker won Wimbledon in nineteen eighty five and then he won it in nineteen eighty six. And me as a twelve, thirteen year old didn't know what it was like to see Boris Becker lose. I'd never seen it before because we only saw Wimbledon, so I'd only ever mm. seen Boris Becker win. And then in nineteen eighty seven he lost in the second round. And it was just I can't tell you how big a shock that seemed. This is like us with Andrescu, circa October 2019, <laughs> yes. when we realised we'd never, never seen, seen her lose. lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Orger Aliasim is actually a good 
um, comparison, I think, because I feel like Orger Aliassime's name has been known for a long time. People have known that this Canadian was coming in the same way people have known about Coco Golf. Yeah, Shapovalov used to say when when he was having his breakthrough, "Oh, you think I'm good? Yeah, wait, wait till you see guy. Felix." Yeah. yeah, we always dine out on a line like that. Don't yeah. We? yeah. <laughs> He's the next this or that. I think Djokovic might have said that about his brother. He did, yeah. Didn't quite work out. <laughs> I, remember, um, I remember Nicholas Lepenti saying it about his brother, Giovanni Lepenti. <laughs> and Giovanni Lepenti did beat Arvin Palmer in the final rubber of I the Davis Cup uh, in, I think, about 2000. Imagine um, being the least good Lepenti. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, come on, Nicholas Lepenti was pretty good. He was a top 10 player. I know, but it's not like saying. I'm Andre Agassi's slightly less good. It's not like being Patrick McEnroe is is <laughs> my. Um, I'm obviously being what, mean. What gets me though is Giovanni Lepenti. That was seven. He was seventeen when he had that Davis Cup result. And honestly, I thought we were looking at the next big star. <laughs> and I never Giovanni Lepenti. Yeah, I never heard of him again. Really. Actually, Thank I, I goodness, did, that was before Twitter. David. I did see him. Can when you he was imagine a, if you'd oh, nailed your <laughs> colours to the mask? I've done a few of those on Twitter as well <laughs> over the years. <laughs> anyway, great thing to do on Twitter is to just put in put in your at. So put in at David Lord Tennis and just put a random tennis player's name <laughs> and you'll see tweets definitely don't want to do that yeah Matt. and you'll see tweets <laughs> from like i don't know 2014 with takes on tommy Robredo or whatever <laughs> if, if there was a way to sort of filter my tweets by takes it would be a shocking sight i tell you <laughs> i don't just mean your twitter by the way david i mean this applies to everyone's twitter right, okay uh so that was coco goff and um, who does coco goff play now so Coco Goff plays Sophia slash Sonia Kenin. Oh, I tell you that could be quite tough. Yeah, it's I a think really that is tough. It's a different really, type of match. Yeah. That mm. and it's a very open section of the draw. She won't give her anything. She's not going to get errors. Yep. Mm. And Kenin, Kenin's relentless. Will, yeah. will take great pleasure in mm-hmm. wrecking that party. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, and then the winner of that plays the winner of Jabber Chong Wong for a place in the semis. Wow. So it's such an open section. Cool, cool section of the mm. draw, wow. actually. Okay, so we then had, uh, whilst all this fun was going on, we, we had Marin Cilic getting through that match against Roberto Bautista oh, yes. Gut in five. That was pretty emotional out there, wasn't it? Well, I was, I was editing the previous podcast and occasionally looking up at my screen. Every time I was looking up, Marin Cilic was eyes bulging veins popping smacking winners playing like 2014 US Open uh, I think he reeled off 11 games in a row in the middle of the match and then just about managed to squeeze through the end against Bautista Agu and it was it did feel like a bit of a career correction almost because he's had so many tight losses in five sets Chilich. that's kind of how I think of him if this, over this last couple of years he's kind of blowing leads as harsh as that may sound, mm. and yet for him to c- sort of convert this one, I think is pretty pretty important for him. Mm. I owe both of them an apology because <laughs> <laughs> when that match was just starting on Melbourne Arena, Serena was in a deciding set. Caroline Wozniacki was at, I think, five all. No, actually, because it followed the Wozniacki match onto Melbourne Arena, didn't it? So I think it was just Serena that was happening. It was nearing its conclusion. Um, and I um, I said, how many people do you think are watching 
Chilich Bautista are good right now. And to be fair, you, you, David, said count the stadium and that's it. And that probably was the case. But they they made it something that, I mean, I was gripped by that fifth set. I was uh, completely gripped. As was the stadium. I mean, and it, there were quite a few people in there. Um, okay, well, and Chilich won. That's a big deal for him. Really Ooh, pleased yeah. for him. Um, he did have a pretty heavy treatment on two different body parts, though. Uh, and I, that's back-to-back five setters. You sure? I was up to about five body parts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Two minimum. It's getting on a bit. Uh, okay, well, so he's through. And we then had Stefanos Tsitsipas against Milos Raonic. Now, I take no pleasure in getting that prediction right. Um <laughs> For once, not not that I've got anything against Milos Raonic, he's a, he's, a, he's a nice bloke, and and look, that's two years in a row that he's beaten the ATP Finals champion at the Australian Open. He beat he stuffed Alexander Zverev a year ago, and now he's gone and beaten um, Stefanos Tsitsipas in straight sets. Just and it wasn't close. Tsitsipas never close. Tsitsipas just about hung in in two of the sets with his serve, but he got nowhere near. Raonic's serve. The only time he got anywhere near it was when he was 40 love down, set point down, I think, in the second set. And he made three returns and, and, and saved about four set points, but eventually didn't didn't win that, that game. Raonic just had the formula. He knew what to do. He just served big, came in when he could, hit his ground strokes, and just dominated. And, and I thought it was quite a jarring defeat for, for Sitsipas. His, his return was, was shown up big time. He needs a block return. Big time. He just needs to start the point. He, he's not even getting in points against Raonic's serve. And he said he felt stupid returning it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Which, I'm trying to remember Vavrinka's blocked return. I don't think he always had that. No, he's developed it. His yeah. is more of a chip. Though isn't it? He he kind yeah. of he kind of just really digs into it to get the spin on it and get it floating. But on the forehand side, he also has that kind of scoop mm. thing. Um, I mean, people have different different varieties of a sort of bunt it. When you've got big extravagant swings, it's it's you know it, you need to find a version of your your block bunt chip whatever you want to call it return. And he doesn't have that. Yeah. And the bad news for him is that it's it's mid-January or end of January and like when's the next sort of training block he's going to have to I mean developing a new shot incredibly difficult (laughs) we we were just talking about when's he going to do that how few players it feels like he's come up against that are like Raonic so I think maybe there hasn't been a premium on him trying to find this solution whereas now I think this will probably be a bit of an eye-opener to him yeah, I, th- I mean, long term, I'm not. Mm. I don't think this is a too concerning of a result for Sitsapas. I, mean, I think, I think style wise, it's a concern, and there are players on tour like Raonic who he could come up against. I mean, I'm, he said himself, "I'll just, I'll just win it next I'll year." I'll just win next year, I'll be fine. Um, and it was, Which is incredibly on Sitsapas. Yeah, yeah. Where's the deep dark depression for the next week? Um, yeah, should we be concerned? I am. Although he was asked, he was asked. Um, uh, did you? Uh, were you healthy? And he said, "Healthy in what way?" <laughs> <laughs> and he also said, um, and "He also said, when you play against someone like Raonic, I just become monotonic. I think that's the right word to use." 
<laughs> oh, bless. I do hope he's not caught some ATP Finals winner's oh. curse because Dimitrov didn't do too well. Zverev didn't do too well. It's not started too well for six pass. It's a lot of points dropping. I'll tell you what. Got to monitor that. How, how good is that from Raonic, who's had a horrible time with injuries? And actually, I noticed he, he put out an Instagram uh, over the Christmas period and he just looked so happy because he was injury free mm. uh, in, in this post. He, he looked just, he couldn't contain how happy he was because he was clearly training full on and not injured. Um, and in the first two rounds here, he had straight sets wins whilst Sitsipas had that walkover. And he also had a first round match against, I think, uh, Salvatore Caruso, I think it is. And, and it just wasn't a test in any way. So. I think those two things factored into this. Mm. Raonic was match tight and ready. Sitsipas was underdone. Agreed. And, and then he was suddenly attacked by this guy with this massive game. And it's been really noticeable how absent Raonic has been with these team competitions we've had, where Canada have played such a big part of both of them, but obviously particularly the Davis Cup finals, but they also gave a good account of themselves at the ATP Cup. And Raonic just wasn't there. Um, yeah, and you think, and, how, and nobody was even talking no about, was the even fact talking that about it. wasn't there. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it until you just yeah. said it. It, it yeah. kind of struck me today. He was like the other Canadian that we, yeah. nobody remembers. Yeah, which must have been so tough for him. Absolutely. So tough that. Mm. But because because I don't think he's ever denied the 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 call up to to play Davis Cup or team team no. competition. I don't, I can't think of. You know, I think he's always been there to and, and, and I do Canada. really think that Shapovalov and Ojo Eliasim are young enough that they do think of Raonic as a really important figure for them. You know, when, when Raonic was kind of bursting through in 2012, 2013, that would have been really inspiring for Ojo Eliasim and Shapovalov. He is a figurehead, a, a statesman for, for Canadian tennis. And yet, there seems to be this real obsession and it's perfectly understandable because they've got so many exciting young players with this new youth movement in, in Canada with obviously Shapovalov, Orgelia, Seaman and Andrescu. then... You know the thing? Although, Ranich, Does Ranich he, have a hashtag? He had believe in the sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, rocking, that was rocking for a while. Mm. Um, so, anyway, he's, he's through. Who's he playing? Celic. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. The, the most positive spin that the announcer could put on that was hopefully there will be lots of aces for the bushfires. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah, that'll, that'll generate a bit. Um, okay, well, well done, Mar- Milos Raonic, well done, Marin Cilic, and, uh, you know, try not to get too down, Stephanus. Um, Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Which leads us on to Roger Federer against John Millman tonight, which was an absolute epic. I commentated on three of the sets on BBC Radio. I mean, the final set was one of one of my favourite sets of commentary in such a long time. I mean, uh, the quality wasn't always the highest. There were some wonderful moments, but the drama that oh. it created and it was excruciating, really, in terms of the tension. I I can't think of too many times that I've felt that on the edge of my seat in a, in a set. Agreed. It was, it was close to perfect from a drama point of view because you had them breaking, you know, breaking each other, breaking back. Every time Federer went to hit a forehand, I felt like I feel when Zverev has to hit a second serve, like disasters around the corner. He was just missing so many forehands, Federer, and Milman was really exploiting that, targeting it, breaking it down. And you had this fascinating situation with the crowd something i've never really seen federer in before when you, he's, you were in the stadium yeah this. and he's not the complete overwhelming favorite i actually thought it was pretty much 50 50 john milman went into press and thought that federer had more and my, my, it sounded a little so john milman. he sounded a little bit annoyed about it as well um <laughs> oh good yeah oh, i'm pleased yeah. he sounded yeah. annoyed he, about he, it. He, and he, he said a bloke in the in the front row was heckling him and he said and then i said something back <laughs> I, I thought for most of the match that the crowd were more on federer's side and then there was a point when milman hit a couple of incredible winners late on i think in the fourth set when he was when he was taking it into a fifth and there may well have been a bit of let's just have a fifth set because yeah. it'll be great but i i got the sense that there were some people that might have been on the fence also aussies who suddenly thought this guy is one of us and he's just doing us proud and they just were on their feet and it it was it was a cool atmosphere it was in that yeah way. it really was and he was playing out of his mind john millman yeah i mean this this is a guy Federer couldn't believe it could he how, no. how well the guy was playing no this is a guy john millman who two weeks ago 
at the ATP Cup was pushed to a final set tie break against the other Greek. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that got Sitsipas into the competition. The guy that, if you can name that person, then you, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally the other, the other Greek. <laughs> The bloke they'd rounded up from, like, a suburban Athens tennis club. Yeah. yeah. And here he is pushing Federer to the brink. John, John Millman is, is the guy that five years ago was so injured that he gave up tennis and just got a job in an office uh, yeah. for about a year. And he, he, just, he was injured. He knew he couldn't come back. And he just thought, oh, I'll just ask my brother-in-law if I can have a job. And so he went and got an office job and he was wearing a suit and tie and he was in his 20s. And Someone, just close your eyes and try and picture John Millman in a suit and tie. (laughs) It doesn't compute. And and bless him, you know, he came back and it took him a a long while to make any inroads, really. Because he's got a meat and potatoes game, hasn't he? It's just, he's a strong, solid baselander who'll run all day and hit the ball hard and try and pass you. Um, but he looked so much more than that today. It makes it all the more intriguing how he manages to cause Federer so many problems. Because occasionally you you get a meat and potatoes player that Federer just wipes the floor with. Just Steve ex- Johnson, for example. But Federer did. Federer, Federer won tonight, and yet he still doesn't know how to beat him. No, really, I think he's kind of fascinated by how John Millman's game. Mm. Um, does that to the amount of time the amount of different uh, approaches that Federer took to try to win points today and still found himself on the losing end or you know he Milman might hit an error but he couldn't put him away I've never seen Federer passed so much maybe against Nadal on a clay court I suppose but on a hard court where Federer comes forward normally he comes forward and takes over the net but he was coming forward and Milman was just picking him off, just reading him time and time again. Federer wasn't getting the clean strike on the ball when he was coming forward. And, yeah, he just looked stunned by what, by what Milman was able to, to do to him is repeatedly. Is he in his head? I think he is. I, I, think, he, I think he was, yeah. A, a big part of that, though, is that Federer had no timing today. No. Throughout the whole match, he was searching and it was there were a lot of similarities to the match at the US Open. Not maybe not he didn't completely drain away physically because he actually ended up. I almost uh, Dominic Inglot, who was with us, said that he felt almost as though Federer just saved himself a bit for the end in case it went, he needed it for a sort of four all five all six all tie break because he suddenly got a bit of adrenaline in order to finish the match and actually win it, but. You know how we, we talked at that US Open about how he was bailing out of rallies and there was almost petulance in the ground strokes. It's just a complete refusal to compromise and, and dig himself in and, and concentrate on a point. He was just irritated mm. by his own Ill- inability to time the ball. So, and, and, but he wasn't prepared to, to compromise any of it he was just angry at the fact that it wasn't happening so he just kept on doing it kept on doing it and kept on doing it and it kept failing I don't know how Federer won the match because I think he was the second best player on the court tonight um, and I think John Millman will probably go to bed tonight really unsure of how he lost but, but by his own admission um, by his own admission um, had it been a normal tie break, he wouldn't have won the match. 
and it, I think it was a fantastic advert for the ten point tie break. Agreed. It just eight four, and yeah. then it became eight six. It allows it, it it makes it more of a mini set. Yes, it allows for momentum swings, yeah. and it, it it's it, the best. I, I do wonder if the U.S. Open will will take note because I mean I've always been in favour of a, a final set tie break. Um, but I'm really won over and by the 10-point it, it elevates it a bit yeah. and it separates it a bit. And I remember thinking in the Wimbledon final, obviously that's at 12-all, how anticlimactic that mm. seven-point tiebreak felt mm. at that stage of the match. I, I know it wasn't a very good tiebreak and it could have been more dramatic, but I just think 10 points, you give it that chance to be something it, more it, significant and grander. If someone goes... 7-2 or 7-3 in a in a I mean I'm sure there are stats on this but it's 7-2 7-3 in a sorry 6-2 six, six let's say it's late folks um, in a normal tie break I mean the 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 chances are that's not swinging mm. but I mean it all it all feels on the table in a 10 point tie break mm. the, the drama remains alive and Milman as you said David will be completely haunted by I think I think he served both points at 8-5 and missed ground strokes long and you said on our whatsapp I, I just can't imagine Millman losing this by getting tight but I think on those two points he did because really? Federer didn't do anything yeah, really and, you know he just it was it was yeah that will haunt him and then the match point I mean, you, you're hoping that the match is going to end on something magnificent, and it did because Millman hit a ball to the baseline that all the Federer fans in the crowd screamed that it was out. <laughs> yeah. But Federer somehow dug it back and just sort of looped it up into the middle of the court, and then Millman had a mid-court forehand, and Federer just had to guess, and he picked the right way and just leant on a forehand and nailed it. was probably the best forehand he hit all night, nailed it into the corner diagonally. And I tried to take a picture of the moment, <laughs> and the bloke stood up in front of me. So I've got this really poor picture. But I, actually, I think it captures the moment of panic quite well. Federer just, you can't even see him. <laughs> it just like his head's in the way. But that was that kind of night where everything was off. Matt Roberts, not a photographer. No, really not. Um, I think, I mean, we, we, we need to talk more about sort of the implications of this for Federer and his, his tilt at the title. But I think um, that there's always there's always that balance, and we had it with uh, Wong and Serena earlier. Of of you, you don't want to take too much away from 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 the opponent. Um, so perhaps we wrap up tribute to John Millman with, and I hope I'm not speaking beyond my brief here because my dad hasn't actually said this to me, but I feel pretty confident that if he had to pick one human being to be on the boat with him forevermore on this planet it would be john millman and he will correct me if i have spoken about my brief because he gives feedback on the podcast every day as we know yeah. <laughs> stop stop laughing um yeah um, I, I really yeah yeah well that's uh, a great um, tribute no greater compliment yeah well done john millman and unlucky so is this is this going to help or hinder roger federer two things about federer um, tonight that occurred to me a at times I felt he looked old for a tennis player 
his hair's thinning a bit. Well, you know, yes, it has been for a bit, hasn't it? Um, he's been he, disguising it. He did. Well. He did look a bit old today, but then when he's walking off the court, having won a five-setter, I thought he's thirty-eight. And it's he, it's incredible. It is incredible. Doing. And he looked giddy about it. He looked. I, I think this means so much to him. I, I, winning I, this in five you know, against the guy that got the better of him physically so so patently and so um, just so obviously mm. last time around. I know the conditions were, were pretty unique that day in New York, but I think this, if he can recover physically, and that is a huge if, mentally I think it's massive. I, I think as he approaches the next one, in this next couple of days, I agree with you because I think that this will in- fuel him, it'll infuse him to, to think that that he somehow won that when re- he kind of got out of jail. You know, yeah. he shouldn't have won and he did win. When he was in the interview afterwards, I think he was giddy in terms of being just lightheaded. I think the whole thing had exhausted him to such an extent and the stress, and, the, and it all came out because the quote, you started this podcast with it, the demons are always lurking. They're always there. And it shows you... There's this lovely image that people have of him, of him just serenely going about his business and beating people as though it's no problem at all. Everything is calculating and going around in that brain of his. It's not, it's not what these people think. So and, much goes into this. And also, as you said, so much of the narrative about Federer is the effortlessness of it all. But with this match today, Federer has now played more five-setters than anyone ever. Wow. Hey. Yeah. Have you gone early on Matt's stat? Possibly. <laughs> Have you double-checked that? That's an extraordinary stat. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, he, he has played more tennis than, like, anyone ever. But still. But still. Yeah. So, Jimmy Connors has played a fair bit. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you I think almost Hewitt need to... Was next. Could, could we Could we <coughs> um, do it as a percentage of matches played? I should, it might be at slams. It's, I imagine Connors maybe played more five-setters when there was five-set tennis more Elsewhere. away, away think, from the slams. I think this was his, something like his 54th Yeah, something like that. Match. Anyway, wow. so we, think, we do think of Federer as winning effortless, and he does a lot of the time, but he also has... He's a magnet for epics. He really is. He plays so many of them, and, I, and he loses a lot of them. Hmm. And I think those demons he talks about, he has, as much as he's won more than any male tennis player ever it almost feels like he's lost more as well because he's been in so many finals particularly against Federer and Nadal which have been close and he's lost Djokovic and Nadal sorry Djokovic and Nadal Mm. it's late folks Um, (laughs) that's what we should call this podcast (laughs) (laughs) if I have to correct Matt then it's really late (laughs) but but I just think you can you can see the stress on Federer yeah. in those tight moments because he has lost a lot of them. and It makes me, like... It makes me look back on the days when I couldn't understand Federer because he seemed so inhuman. Too, uh, too still good. a long time ago. Oh, it was a long and time ago. And I know ago. the stress was there. I know, I, I know now that it was all there. You just couldn't, couldn't see it as clearly. No. That was um, our, our first big argument. <laughs> 11 years ago. 
But you, you, knew, you had experiences, I, you knew him. And yes. you, didn't, you didn't see on the court, you never saw that. You never saw what you had seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I see the look you're giving me. Well, she wasn't having it still, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't saying you're wrong. I was saying I can't feel it. I yeah. cannot feel it in my bones when I'm watching Roger Federer because I, I, I haven't experienced it. I just... Uh, Understood. But, but <laughs> oh, God, it's like 11 years ago all over again. Um, I'm glad I haven't got my glasses on, so I can't really see how you're looking at me right now. Um, yeah, but you see it now. I, I was really reminded today several times of how long you two, you two have worked together because <laughs> you both had exactly the same idea at exactly the same time on multiple occasions except, on our WhatsApp group. Except David took it that bit further. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? I, I said when the Serena and Wozniacki stories happened simultaneously, I said we should do a two-parter podcast. We should record. We need to do. We need to deal with this now, so we capture the immediacy of it. And you said, "Yeah, great." Should we? And we both were typing. Shall we do it outside in Garden Square at, ex- at the same time? And then you arrived in person, and the, your first words were, "I've had an idea. <laughs> we should do two podcasts." Yeah. Well, you told me to have a good night's sleep, and I did. This is what happened. This is the result. Sorry. Um, Okay, is there anything else? Who's he he playing next? So Federer plays Fuchevix. Oh, crikey, he's been beating everybody. He's been the next-gen slayer who's beaten Sinner, Shapovalov, and whatever was left of Tommy Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Did... Does um does uh, I'm trying to think that Federer's age almost adds up to the three. Yeah, days. it literally does. Yeah. Um, okay, so Fuchovic against Federer. That I mean, he he physical. isn't going to be easy either, is no, it? Fuchovic is a real unit. But Federer needs to he's come out. Struff type. If, if Federer comes out and feels it again, oh, you know, he can st- he can still beat him. Oh, yeah. He can turn it on. I mean, it's not not a switch, but it's sort of if he feels it, it's a different match. It's. For me, the biggest thing about 38-year-old Federer is the consistency is, is not quite there. You know, he can come out and play a match like he did against Krajanovic and look young in that. Everything was flowing. And then he can come out against Milman, okay, a different matchup, and look old. And I don't think you can quite be sure anymore which Federer is going to take to the court. The one other thing, just to bear in mind, I think, as well, are the, are the playing conditions. <clears throat> they, they had this green set court this year, so they've had it the same as all the other tournaments in this swing. It, they, Daniela was saying that it is slow. The court surface is slow, and, and Dominglet was saying the same. And then the balls, which everybody's saying are incredibly quick when they first come out of the can, and then within about four minutes, they fluff up and they go slow. Mm. Well, Milman. Milman. Yeah. Australian in ball tampering <laughs> drama Why? scandal he was and this is as as far as I can tell completely within the rules and he wasn't uh, doing it on the sly he was doing it quite yeah. openly it's also he a was, little bit gross it, it's revolting yeah. absolutely revolting he was rubbing but prior to serving he was rubbing the balls on his sweaty shirt which I, I mean, logically, I would think that would slow them down. I think, he, I think it wet. was. I think he wanted them slow right. for the rallies, right? Right. To, I think he was thinking, I get my serve in, and then I'm in a and rally then, with a slow, heavy ball. Right. Yeah. He. I mean, as I say, he wasn't wasn't trying to cover it up. He was just doing that. Guess you must be allowed to. S- but just, 
just rubbing his bodily fluids <laughs> onto the tennis ball. Which then ball kids and yeah. people have to touch. Absolutely Ew. disgusting. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we'll wait to see what tomorrow brings. What will but tomorrow bring? There is one other line from today, which... Oh, yeah. I only know half of it because so much has happened. But we should mention that defending men's doubles champions, Mo and Air Bear, are out oh, are they? in round one. <laughs> I say I only know half of it because I can only remember that they lost to Pear and someone. I can't, can't remember <laughs> who Pear was playing with. Pear, who two nights ago, after his singles loss, posted a... Um, video of himself having what looked like a pretty wild night <laughs> he's having a cracking time um, it, it so was, uh, Ben no longer focusing on singles or doubles Benoit Pair and needs Sim- to find something else to focus on Simone Bolelli oh yeah that's oh it. former beat, Australian Open doubles champion with yeah. Fabio Fanini beat Eber and Mahu 6-4-7-6 so there you are uh, I think Mo and Eber this sounds insane because it's a grand slam but I think they have the Olympic other priorities and I really think it's the Olympics for them this year because they've won all the, all four slams and that would I mean they're already probably one of the best doubles teams in recent years in, of all time maybe they've won all four slams but if they could win the Olympics as well that would massively elevate them yeah okay right Saturday uh, we start on Rod Laver Arena with Anastasia Pavlichenkova against Karolina Pliskova uh, then it is Yulia Putinseva against Simona Halep. Now, the big sun could rather than that. Mm. Uh, Rafael Nadal against Pablo Carreno Buster. And an evening session, Svitolina Muguruza. Who's winning that? We haven't done our predictions for the newsletter yet, which you can sign up to free and get every day and uh, get my rubbish predictions. Full disclosure, I've not seen any of Svitolina this tournament. No, I. I saw um, her in the first round against Katie I've Volta. I've seen quite a lot of Muguruza. And I had Svitolina Pliskova as my quarterfinal, so I'm going to stick with Svitolina, but with, with that caveat. If Muguruza turns it on. Uh, and then it's Daniel Medvedev against, uh, is it Alexei Popperin? Yeah, yes. That's it, isn't it? That could be quite fun, I think. Mm. Mm. Popperin goes for it, sometimes coached by Pat Cash, or he has been helped by him. Uh, Margaret Cordarina, Camilla Georgi against Angelique Kerber, Belinda Benchit and Nick Kontovet, Taylor Fritz, Dominic Team. That could be interesting. Yeah. Will Fritz be in a Tommy Paul-esque situation today? Yeah, he lost in straight sets badly, didn't he, Tommy Paul, today? Uh, Vadasco against Verev. Ooh. Mm. Diaz uh, yeah. against I, I, I feel like Diaz and Burtons, who are second on the... Is yeah. it Margaret Court Arena? That's a stitch up. They should probably bring a sleeping bag, is what yeah. you're saying. I mean, Vadasco and Zverev you, you both can't, love You cannot a put a, a women's match on after Vadasco Zverev. No. It's unacceptable. Mm. That should be first. I agree. Uh, Monfils Golbis. Crikey, what is this? 2009? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel conflicted about Monfils Golbis. I think a lot of people will sort of circle that as their match of the day. And I think it... It could be weird. It could though. be weird and wonderful, but I'm, it's just not a match that draws me in. I just it's going to be an anxiety dream. I yeah. Think, that whole thing. Too much going on. Uh, Mertens Bellis. We talked about Bellis. What a, what a brave story that is. And pretty heartbreaking at times. And brilliant she's got back out there. Kyrgios against Hatchinov is yes, the please. It'll one. be, assuming there are further matches after tomorrow and that's a not a given assumption. it'll be his 
last match on Melbourne Arena. Yeah, uh, before he might face Nadal. Uh, Sounds like the bin men are coming by this. Oh, I often go to sleep here thinking that I've outlasted the bin men. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Isner against Vavrinka is on tomorrow. Which is on, I think, court three, which is not the biggest court. And I would not want to be facing John Isner's serve on that court. There's not a lot of room there. David Goffin against Andre Rublev. Remember when we highlighted that at the start of the tournament about the... PlayStation rallies to mm. expect. Oh. Hopefully, Goffin's fit. Last, last I saw of him, he was lying on his back receiving treatment in a fifth set against the aforementioned Pierre Huguet. <laughs> Cracky. Oh dear, that sounds uh, ominous. Okay, well, that's another 48 minutes to add to the 30 of you earlier. So, uh, hope you've enjoyed your bumper pack of uh, tennis podcasts today, folks. I think we've, uh, we've done what we needed to do because it was one of the all-time days, I would say, in terms of just oh, stuff that's happened. Fr- from, from my point of view, it's the best day I can remember in a slam. Matt did a tweet from the Tennis Podcast account um, saying <laughs> this, is the, this is the best day at a slam since... Um, space question mark as in reply with your with your submissions and then he replied to it himself from his personal account in caps just saying forever <laughs> there's a okay. chance I might be high on tennis yes let's let's stop the podcast and drink beer um, and yeah so we'll be back tomorrow we've we've loved it today hope you have as well hope you've enjoyed our two podcasts so don't forget you can go and listen to the whole Serena and Wozniacki chat on our other one uh, two in a day don't expect this every day we'll decide um Oh, the look they're giving me. Uh, tell your friends about the tennis podcast. Tell everybody you know. Tell random people that you see in day-to-day life uh, in the shop and uh, get them to listen to the ten- tennis podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. We like all that. And sign up to the newsletter. Join the community in Reddit. I don't even know what Reddit is. <laughs> apparently, Over 400 members now. Yeah, apparently it's really good. Everybody talks to each other about the tennis podcast and about stuff in tennis. And, and I've, you know, I'm getting closer to having to do my Ask Me Anything. You which, are. Which puts the fear of God into me, I have to say. Um, yes, because anyway. normally we have editorial control over the questions <laughs> oh dear and uh, and that's about the size of it that's another edition of the tennis podcast we will be back tomorrow with another one and we can't wait to bring it to you see you then flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.